Thank you, music team. What a powerful morning it has been already in prayer and, and music, and, um, and I'm excited to continue that. Um, I want to ask you a question. So let me ask you a question, because we just had this amazing time, and I, and, I, and I so love how you guys belted out the chorus one more time um, if, uh, to, to bring God glory, not just to humor me. But let me ask you a question. Why do we sing in church? Like, why, like, do you ever stop and wonder? I mean, I, I think to myself, as someone who, who was new to the church scene in my mid-20s, I I, it, it honestly was kind of weird to me. Like, it was, it was, I would, you walk into a room, so if somebody were to come into our church and, 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 and see us during the last hour, so not, I mean, we'll get to the prayer part in just a minute, but just talking about music, it, it seems odd, because there, are very, there aren't very many places where you would go, where people would gather together outside of like a concert, maybe, um, where you'd actually just see people in unison singing. Right? And so it, it, it can feel sort of odd for the person that isn't part of the family. So the question like, I'm, I'm wondering is like, why do we sing in church? Why do we, what, what is often called worship? Now I want to get this out of the way in case I forget. When we talk about worship here at Crosstrain, we're not talking about music. We're talking about music and other things. Music, singing, is one of the ways that we worship, but so is our time of prayer. So is our time of time in the word. Frankly, so is our fellowship meal. It's a time of worship. Worship is any time that we turn our mind's attention and our heart's affection to, to God, praising him for who he is and what he's done. So, so why do we sing? Why do we pray? Like why, why do we redo our service even to not just have prayer be a pre-service time of prayer, which by the way, we still have. If you're interested in being here early to pray, um, let me or Brian know or um, let Jamie know. She's here early to pray for the service ahead of time. Um, but, but why do we gather, why do we, why do we move prayer into the main part of our service and just spend the last hour basically praying and singing? Like, wh- what are those things meant to do? Give glory? Prepare our hearts? Like, ultimately, they're to invite us into a space in lives that are full of chaos, in lives that are full of distractions, in lives that are full of pretty much everything but God, they invite us into a, a, a place where the Holy Spirit can meet us because, because we've left aside some of those things and now fix our mind's attention and heart's affection on him. That's a work of the Spirit. Now, now I'm, I'm going to back up a step before I get to the prayer part, and I'm going to challenge some of you a little bit, especially when it comes to us men and especially when it comes to the singing part. Because some of you go, some of you come here and you go, I can't wait for the music to get over with so we can get on to the teaching of the word. Others of you are like, man, I, the music is the best part. And, and this is, I'm not talking about our music team. I'm talking about any church anywhere. When I first started attending church regularly, um, I, I honestly did not enjoy the music very much. In the church I went to, we, 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 I, we were at, we were, um, music was like 25, 30 minutes sometimes. And I did not enjoy it very much. I can't sing a lick. Just ask anybody in this general area. Does it stop me from singing? No. Just ask anybody in the... Guys, the music team wears in-ears not to, so they can hear themselves, but so they can drown me out. Because I have no doubt that I completely... I'm not on the right key. I don't know some of the words. I don't care. Right? I, because it's not about me. It's not about them. It's not about you. It's about him. And I just, with unashamed abandon, want to be able to go, man, Lord, just I, I, I need this time to fix my mind's attention and my heart's affection on him. And I'm here to teach the word. Now, guys, 
here's my challenge. Some of us are like this. When is this going to be over with? Some of us are like this. When is this going to be over with? And here's my challenge to you. Is that your same posture when your sports team is playing? Is that your same posture when you're having a spirited debate about politics? Or are you like hand-waving? Like You have no problem. We have no problem being emotional and showing those emotions. So why would we all of a sudden when we say, let's, let's spend some time praying, let's spend some time praising in song. Again, like, like few churches I know, you guys have embraced that. But we have room to grow. And my challenge to you is to just go, what might it be that would cause you to be so willing to give that part of yourself to your football team? To give that, that part of yourself to your political party? To give that part of yourself to whatever floats your boat, but not to the one who's in your boat with you. Right? Like, like seriously, I, I, I'm, I'm not asking for answers, but I want you to spend some time thinking about that. Because you, you're, we are not going to really press into the beauty that is Christ unless we're willing to let go of some of that fear of man, some of that distraction of the world. So we, we have, because, because that's part of why we front load our service with prayer and music. It's to prepare our hearts for hearing the word of God. So just waiting or skipping that time mentally or even physically to get here to hear the word preached is to miss the word being preached, honestly. Guys, and, and so, now, now I also want to flip that around a little bit. Because the same is also true. Just like music and prayer can press us into the Holy Spirit, so can time in the Word. That's why we don't want to, that's why we, when we say worship, we don't just mean music. Because now, does that mean that now we're not worshiping? Because I'm up here preaching the Word, this is not worship. I'm hoping that I'm worshiping my way, myself, through the Word. As we're worshiping together in the Word. But that study in the Word, knowing more about God, understanding more about who He is, dare I say theology and doctrine, can also lead us into worship in deeper and deeper ways. It's a both and. So that's our first talking points question. So if you look at the back of your, of your handout in your bulletin, it says, how might the knowledge of God lead you into greater worship of God? How might knowing more about him lead you into greater worship of him? I'm asking. Thank you for different, thanking him. Like the more you get, the more facets of him you know, the more things you can thank him for. Like the individual aspects, his power, his grace, his majesty. Those are awesome. What else? If my three-pound brain can understand a God, then it, he's not a God to worship. So just the more we dive into him, and, and if you've been up, up walking with the Lord and diving into his word, and you've been a part of our training program, and you've, like, what you realize is the more you know about God, the less you know about God. Not because you know less, but because God, you just realize just how much bigger God is. Right? It's, it's just so that, so that to that point. Like, like ultimately... Where we're at in Romans, so, so in, in, the, in, the, in, this, in this gospel according to Romans, right, that we're talking about, there's this, Paul has been pressing and pressing for, we've been in this for over a year now, 
I mean, we took some breaks for summer and we took some breaks for Christmas, but we've been in this book, for, which is a long time for Cross Train to be in a book. We've been, in, we've been in this book since last January. And this whole time, Paul has been pressing us into this theology and doctrine. But it led him to something. And it's led him to where we are today, which is this amazing, like he can't hold it in anymore. And he busts out in what's called this, a doxology, which just simply means, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a compound word of two words. Doxa in Greek means glory. And doxology, ology is, just a, is, a, is, a, is at its root the word logos, which just means word or speaking. So he, say, so he gets to the end of this place, and he writes this doxology of these four verses we're going to look at, which is about, I can't keep myself from speaking about the glory of God. Now, as we're reading about how Paul does that, I want to challenge you to go, is that how, are you able to live that way? Are you, right now, in this time, this morning, are you, able, are, are you at this place where you go, I cannot stop myself from saying amen, because God is just that good. Now, what we will see moving forward from chapters 12 through 16 is Paul's going to get very specific about how we do that. But today, we're just going to spend some time dwelling in that. And I, and I want to show you that this isn't just a Romans thing. So before you open up to the book of Romans, oh, find the book of Ephesians. Find the book of Ephesians and, and find Ephesians chapter 3. So, so Romans, so it's to the right of, Ephesians is to the right of Romans. You're going to go past First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you get to all the T's, you've gone too far to the right, come back to the left. I just, I really want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Take notes and write in your, and, 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 and read in your Bible along with me. You will be better for it. Like, this is where the power is. And as much as I can, I want to speak this power out of this mouth, but I want you to read it the way God intended. So, that's, guys, this is why I teach from this. I want, I want to model for you reading from a Bible, a physical Bible. I, I'm not anti-electronic Bible. I know some of you right now, have, you know, you have your phones out. Don't, so so if, if somebody next to you has their phone out, that's how they're reading their Bible, turn to them and shame them. No, just kidding. Don't. I, about half of my, and I mean every morning, about half of my devotional time is done on my phone in, a, in an electronic Bible. I'm not anti-electronic Bible, but, he, but I also very intentionally spend time in my physical Bible. Here's why. I go to my phone for all kinds of things. I go to my phone to check the weather. I go to my phone to check the sports scores. I go to my phone to check the news. I go to my phone to see if my wife has texted me. I go to my phone for all kinds of stuff. I go to, my, I go to the Word of God for one reason, and that's to hear from the Lord. Amen. And you want, to tr you want to teach yourself to go, how do I get my face into this book? Right, physically into this book. So I want to show you, Paul, Paul does in Two and a half or three, ver or three chapters, what takes him 11 chapters to do in Romans. I've mentioned this before. Ephesians is the cliff note version of the book of Romans. So in, chapter, in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians, Paul is, is telling us, here's the gospel. Took him from chapters 1 through 8 and then on into 9, 10, and 11 to tell us that in, in Romans. And now before he turns to the second half of Ephesians, he can't contain it anymore. He gets to this place of going, in light of the beauty of the gospel, the glory of God in the gospel, he's like, I can't not doxologize. So look at verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, for this reason. This reason is for the gospel. 
for the glory of the gospel, for the beauty of the gospel, for what the gospel has done in his life, is what he's saying. In your life, from whom every family in heaven on earth has its name. That according to the riches of his glory, you may gra- he may grant to you what to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be strengthened and uh, to, may, be, may, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. You're kind of hearing some of this Roman um, terminology, and this is years later that he writes Ephesians, and to, and to know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout the all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, I, 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 there's a part of me just wanted to stop there and let's start eating some hamburgers. Because, man, that is, just a, that is beautiful. It is glorious. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it. We are in this, we are in this part of the series that we're calling Righteousness Revealed. We're in this part that, that I'm calling the magnification of righteousness. And today we're going to talk about how that magnification comes through the only one worthy of worship. And that's the title of today's message is, There's Only One Worthy of Worship. And the question I'm asking today is, Are You Ready to Worship? Are you re- Thank you, Scott. I got one. All right. Are you ready to worship God? I mean, thank you. Guys, like this is, this is what our lives are to be about. We are here physically in church, but we are here on earth to worship. And everyone is. Guys, everyone is a worshiper. Everyone. There's nobody that doesn't worship. The only question is what or who. That's the only question that we need to answer. So today what we're looking at is in this idea of are you ready to worship, there's only two points that we're going to look at. So find Romans chapter 11, and we're just looking at four verses today, but they're, they're glorious verses, and we're going to see two points. Proper wonder leads us to proper worship. Proper wonder, awe. Proper wonder, hmm, Proper wonder, all of, like both contexts of wonder, right, leads us to worship. And, and I heard that even in some of the questions when I answered. So look at uh, verse 33 of chapter 11, and we'll look at our first point, proper wonder. Paul says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? He's saying, who's smarter than God? And we saw a lot of that in the, in the theology we've been looking at. So you turn things around, oh man. Who are you to answer back to God? And then he goes on to say, or who has given a gift to him that, it might, that he might be repaid? He's saying, who's ever given enough to God that somehow God owes him something? Now, what led Paul to this amazing, like, like this wonder? Well, honestly, it's all, it starts all the way back in chapter 1. 
He, he, as, as the Holy Spirit has been inspiring him to write these deep things that, 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 lead, that, that bring great detail to God's salvation story that we call the gospel, he has spent time going, oh, Lord, I, you are truly amazing. And he spent time going, eh, I don't get it. But I, don't, I know I can't get it because I'm finite and he's infinite. So we're going to back up, and we're going to, and, and I hope you never tire of this. We're going to start back in chapter 1, and we are going to quickly go through the ways Paul wandered his way in worshiping to get to chapter 11. So turn to chapter 1, and starting in verse 22. He wondered, I'm sorry, he wondered about our rebellion. Verse 22 through 25, he says this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They as us, people, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling the mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There's that worship. It's idol worship. We are all idol worshipers. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves... And here's why. Because they, we, exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and we worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You can see like the wonder in Paul's life, right, in both ways. He's like, how, how did we do this? But he's also going, how did I let myself get to that place at one point in my life? Then he moves on to the wonder about judgment. So look at verse chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore... You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves because, you ju- because those who judge practice the same things. He's saying, we blame God for judging us in our rebellion, for slapping his hand away. We blame him for being judgmental, and we are judgmental, is what he's saying. We all are. Every one of us, all the time, are making judgments. And often they are not healthy. And then he says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice that rebellion of chapter 1. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and and forbearance and patience with knowing that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance? Now we're we're still on to the judgment part. So turn to chapter 3, verse 9. What then should we say? Are the Jews better off? Maybe they live better for God? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, Jew and Greek, are under sin. We're all rebels. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Last verse in chapter 3, look at, chapter, look at verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's saying, guys, I, I, there's this wonder that in the midst of our rebellion, and that rebellion is on all people, God somehow makes this promise. And that's the next place he goes, is the wonder of this promise. Look at chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And we've seen over the last few weeks in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans how, how this promise of chapter 4 is really what Paul has been shoving forward through the whole book of Romans. And he says in verse 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, it didn't come through Moses, but through righteousness of faith. 
For if the adherents of the law who had, who had, who had it are the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if, if doing right could save, if, if following the law of Moses could save, then, then there was no need for the promise. But verse 15, he says, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, on belief, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. His is all Abraham's offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, not only to the Jews, but also to the ones who share in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom you have believed, who gives life to the dead and calls back to being that which does not exist. Guys, if you've never underlined that passage, that, that verse in your Bible, do it now. I'm telling you, it is a beautiful promise. No matter where you are in your marriage, no matter where you are in your life, no matter, hold on to the promise that Abraham held on to, that God is a God of resurrection. In hope against hope, Abraham believed, verse 18 says. And then he says, look at verse um, 20. No unbelief made him waver, but he grew strong in faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God, what God promised, he is able to perform. And that faith, that belief, is what was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Paul's like, man, that, that, is, that is wondrous. And then he goes on to talk about this wonder of the gift. So, so now how does that promise play itself out? We'll look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the promise shows itself. Through Christ, the fulfillment of the promise, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Paul tells us in, Corinth, in, in, um, in the book, in the first book of Cor to the Corinthians. He says, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we, we stand. So we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now turn to chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. We're still on this gift. The, the wonder of the gift. Chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and ends, and its end is eternal life. Much better program than the other one. For the wages of sin is death, because that's the other one, but the free gift of God, the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now Paul turns around and he goes, okay, I get that. We all rebel. God's righteous in his judgment. He makes this promise. He fulfills this promise in Christ. So then he turns to chapter 7. He's like, so why do I struggle then? And, all, and he does that because he knows not only in his life is it true, but we can all relate. So turn to chapter 7 and verse 14. He says, I know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. He's like, I still have this body, this body of flesh, this sinful body. The flesh dies hard. Then he says in verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. So it is no longer I who, do it, who does it, but the sin that dwells in me, in my flesh. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Can anyone relate? 
And he, and he, gets, and he finishes the whole thing with, this, with, chapter, with verses 24 and 25. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from myself? Who will deliver me from this body of death, from the fleshly part of me, the part of me that is still broken and, and not fully regenerated yet? Because we're those people stuck between the already finished and the not yet fully done. And he answers, praise God, he doesn't leave us there. Praise God, Romans doesn't end there. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, so then I myself, the, in the law, um, sorry, um, Obey the law with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he goes on to this, the, this wondrous glory. Like, like he, man, like, so how does this happen? Well, look at what he says in, in chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to finish that beautiful thought of what we said was the most important chapter in the most important book of all the Bible in Romans 8. And he picks it up in, in verse 28 and he says, For we know that God works all things together for good. For those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed in the image of his son, that they might be the firstborn among many brethren. He said, the reason he saved you was to make you look like Jesus so that you would bring him glory. And then he goes on at the end of that chapter, and he, starts, and he talks about what I, where I started our time with and read before we, we sang the, the chorus one more time. He says, and I want you to know that, that that's a promise that nothing can ever undo. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he lists everything, heights, depths, spiritual things, physical things. There's nothing anywhere ever at any time, past, present, future. Nothing anywhere ever at any time that can separate us from God. Why? Because God is the one who made the promise. And he cannot be thwarted. It's just the way it is. And then he goes on to talk about this wonder of the sovereignty of God. And, how, and, and that was chapter 9. In chapter 9, verses 18, he says, Now he'll have mercy on those he wills, and he'll harden those he wills. And he goes, So now you're going to ask me this question. So how does he still find fault? If he's the one who softens and hardens, how is it our responsibility? And what's his answer? Worship. Just stop trying to figure everything out about God and just worship him. Oh man, who are you to answer back to God? Now he goes on to talk about the wonder of, the, of our responsibility. That's chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verse 8. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. He's saying it's not hard to find, if you remember that. And I've preached on all this they're all on our website and they're all on our podcast you can go back and listen to them but he says because if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved that's on us he's not going to make you confess he's saying you have to that, that's our responsibility and he's like and that's just wondrous and then the last thing is in chapter in chapter 11 he gets to this wonder of the of the like the faithfulness of all of God's promises. Look at chapter 11, verse 5. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Do you, no, guys, you, no, no, connect this. We're almost done with this point. The last point goes fast, so hang in there. Guys, get this. Remember in chapter 4, he talked about how this promise, 
He was, he was going back and forth with Abraham. This promise wasn't the law. It was a promise in believing in the promise of the coming Messiah. That's how Abraham was saved. That's how Abraham was going to be the father of all nations. That's how any of us are saved. How was that, what was that promise based on? What did he say in chapter 4? It was based on grace. He's saying by the grace of God. That's where that promise flowed from. Now he's going to get to the very end of the gospel and he says of, of his presentation of the gospel in Romans 11, and he says, he says, at this present time, there's still this remnant, just like Abraham, just like Isaac, just like Jacob, just like David, just like, the, there's, just like Elijah. We looked at him last week. Just like all these. He said there's always been this remnant that believed in the promise by the grace of God. Because if it, if, it, if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works, not what you do. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And guys, that's ultimately this, this message of all the way back to our rebellion, God's judgment, but his, his pursuing grace despite us. He gets to the end of that and he's like, I just can't hold it anymore. I don't know, I, I don't get it. He's, like, he's going, I, I don't get half of it. I just know it's glorious. So he turns and he writes, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Verse 33, back where we were. Now, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. He's like, he, it just, it literally, the glory of God in the gospel drops Paul to his knees. Does it move you at all? Sunday morning, long week. Maybe you're up later and you should have been last night. Have you prepared your heart? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life before you even got here? To be dropped to your knees. Not by what I'm saying. But, but not, even, not even by the words I'm reading. But ultimately by the display of glory that God gives us. If we will just look. So look at your second talking points question. There's only two today. It says, have you seen the glory of the gospel of Jesus? Then what holds you back from letting your life say with all that you have and all that you are, you're, that you're his? I'm not at, I, I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Have you beheld the glory of Christ? Has your life been changed by the gospel? Don't answer. If so, then what are the things that are holding you back from letting your whole life say, I am his for his glory? That's where Paul's going to take us next. That's where we're going we're to be in two verses on next Sunday, Lord willing. And he's going to drive us to this point of going, what does it look like? To be so moved by the gospel, it drops you to your knees, and then you get up and start living for the glory of God. Right? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to tell people that I'm a Christian. I don't want to tell people about Jesus. I don't want to live for Christ. Right now, I'm in a season of life, or, I'm, or this is just where I'm at spiritually. I don't want to. I, if, if that's where you're at, you're like, but there's just that, and, you, and you're honest enough to admit that about yourself, and, but, but you might even call yourself a Christian. I would ask you the same question I asked you last week. On what basis are you calling yourself a Christian? 
Because if you beheld the glory of God, the want to would come. When our have to becomes a want to, we know we get to for the right reason. Does that make sense? Like we we have to want it. But maybe you're sitting here going, I want to. I just don't know how to. You're in good company. That's what we're going to be spending the last few weeks in our Roman study talking about. Because that's where Paul's going to take us. He's going to show us, here are some ways you can give your life away for the gospel. In, in big and little ways. In the meantime, here's what, here's what I'd ask you before we go to our, last, our second point, which is our last point. Don't answer. Just, just think, think about this between now and next Sunday, next Sunday to prepare your heart. I worship God best when... Dot, dot, dot. I worship God best when... Then put yourself in those places as often as you can. Put yourself in those situations as often as you can. I worship God best when? Because not all of us worship God best the same way. Not all of us are called to do what I'm doing, or to do what Sean's doing, or to do what Ray's doing. Right? We're all called to worship God the way he wants us to worship. So ask yourself the question, I worship God best when? Now let's look at our last point. So all of this in this one verse, all of this wonder, this wonder of God in his gospel story leads Paul to this proper worship. And ultimately what it comes down to is that there's only one worthy of worship. And look at what he says. So he's like, so, so he says, oh, we can't understand God? Like, he's, he's so much bigger than us, verses 33, 34. We, he, we, there's nothing we can give him that he didn't first give us anyway. We, we, he doesn't owe us anything. Why? Because from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, like I, I said earlier, we are all worshipers. We all worship something. And even those of us that are that are, that are that are trying, that are pressing to seek Christ, we all slip into this idol worship. Paul will take us back into some of those times as we move along, and that's not where I want us to be today. What I want us to spend our last few minutes doing is just, is looking, is just beholding the one who is worthy of worship. And so to do that, I'm just going to point to some verses that, that lead to, so how do we like live these lives where from him and through him and to him be all things, to him be the glory. How do we just let today, how do we let today, tomorrow, this next week, how do we let that just all of our focus be on bringing him glory? So I'm going to start at the end of the verse. He says, to him be the glory forever. Ultimately, the answer to that question is living your life for him. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 43 that we are a people made for God's glory. That's not just why we're here, that's why we're on the planet, is to bring glory to God. So how do we do that? Here's four ways, really quick. They're going to come up on the screen. We bring him glory with our withness. With our withness. Being with him. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Within you? God lives in you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. He's saying like just as you're you're living your life. That leads us to our second one. Bring him glory in our motivation. How do you do that? Well, Paul tells us whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Whatever you do, once you leave here today, 
Do it for the glory of God. Guess what you're doing if you're doing that? Worshiping. And you, can, you can be cleaning the toilet at your house or here at the church building, and that's an act of worship if you're doing it with your mind's attention and heart's affection on him. It's an act of worship. And guys, what I'm doing right now, if my mind's attention and heart's affection is not on him, would not be an act of worship, even though I'm preaching God's word to God's people. You can do that in human idolatry. And that happens in churches a lot. And it can happen in my heart too. And I, and I pray often that that is not the case. Not, not to my glory, not to cross-train church's glory, but to him be the glory forever and ever. Two more. Bring him glory by our fruitfulness. By our fruitfulness. Paul says this in Philippians 1. It is my prayer that, you lo- that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and, dis- and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the, day of the Christ, for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So this fruit comes to, through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there are no law. There is no judgment. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Is that, that is what, that's what should define you in your school tomorrow. That's what should define you in your place of work tomorrow. That's what should define you when you go to the coffee shops you frequent. That's what should define you when you're at the gym. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control defining how you drive on the freeway. Right? It should. Otherwise, scrape that fish off the back of your car. It says... Bring, last one, bring him glory through our confession of who he is. Bring him glory through our confession of who he is. Paul says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above all names. So this isn't confession like confessing sin. This is confession saying, here's who Christ is. So that at the same, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and on heaven and on earth and under the earth. He's saying everywhere in all of creation, spiritually and physical creation. That's the under the earth part. He's saying everywhere, all the time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. What is that confession going to bring? Glory to God the Father. That's what our confession does. Now let's Back up and, 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 and go to the first part of the verse, and we're going to wrap it up, and I'm going to have the music team come up with this. So to him be the glory. To him be the glory forever and ever. Why? Because, here's why. The first part of verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Now there's all kinds of, there's, there's all things. There's all kinds of things that, that are all, it's all his. There's lots of ways that we can bring that glory to him. But guys, Context is king. Remember that? Con- it means we, we got to, in, in the light of what Paul's talking about, what does he really mean for from him and through him and to him are all things? Well, what has he just spent 11 chapters telling us about? How we're to be better parents? No. How we're to be better husbands or, or wives? No. How we're to live more financial, like in, in more like kingdom-minded financially? Is that what he's talked to us about? No. What has he spent 11 chapters talking to us about? The gospel, our salvation. For from him is the glory of our salvation. For to him is the glory of our salvation. For through him is the glory of our salvation. For 
Him be the glory in our salvation forever and ever. Amen. That's why I started with the question I had. Are you ready to worship? I'll ask it again. Are you ready to worship? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Stand with me as I pray. Father, I, I come to you right now and, and I, I ask that you, would, that you would guard my heart and my mouth. But Lord, I am, I am compelled to pray against the apathy the lukewarmness that is, that is rampant in people who profess faith in Christ. The enemy is so good at whispering us to sleep. Shh. You're tired. It's kind of warm in here. Just, just tune him out. It's okay. Lord, in the name of Jesus, the name that we just read, that, that will make every knee bow and every tongue confess, and that includes Satan. We pray against that. And in our flesh that is so weak, like, like the disciples, when Jesus went away to pray three times that the cup of wrath would pass when he was begging his father, Father, did you find another way? He comes back to, to the three biggies, Peter, James, and John, and all three times, he just finds them asleep. That's why he talks so much about when he returns, he's going to find so many of the people that think they're his asleep. Because our flesh is weak. That's what he told them. So Lord, I pray that we would just get over our fear of saying something like, yes, I'm ready to worship, that we get over our fear of raising a hand or singing out loud, that we would get over our fear of looking at somebody in a coffee shop and saying, hey, there's a God in heaven who loves you and died for you. That we get over our fear and, and just our fatigue and our distraction of playing the Christian game. I know, as Sean prayed earlier, I know these people, like, like, like nobody else I know, desire to press into that. So Lord, as, as a shepherd, my heart just breaks when I see apathy. Lord, I pray that, that even our time in song that we're entering into, that our time in a meal together that we were going to have together, in a time even talking about going to Mexico to, re, to be on mission there, in our time tonight as families wherever we are in, in our time this week as we're walking around as we're as we're going to work as we're going to school as we're as we're living life Lord, I, I pray i pray that i would not be distracted i pray that we would live hot-heartedly for you I pray that we would be able to look back at your story, our, 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 individually, each of us in this room right now, at the sound of my voice, 
our propensity to rebel, your righteousness in judging, and, and your free gift of grace that comes through what your son did on a cross for us and that we would not nullify the grace of God. That we wouldn't try to white knuckle this Christian walk. But okay, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to do better and I'm not going to be apathetic. But that we would just press in. That we would behold the beauty and the glory of your gospel story in our lives. And, and like it did for Paul, that as we're, as we're seeing all of those things and we're going, and yet there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God because the cross proves it, that that would compel us to doxology. That that would compel our lives to speaking glory. The glory of the one who has given us life. For from you and through you and to you alone be all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.